price has been up and down over the years, like many automobile manufacturers. And we always stayed with them, you know. Uh, we don't run, you know, and uh, it was a mistake. We should have done something before. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson in Planet Money headquarters in New York City. And I'm Alex Bloomberg, also in New York. Uh, today is Friday, May 14th, and that was Stanley Balzikas II, you heard at the top of the show. He is the owner of Balzikas Chrysler, um, and he was recently told that he would be one of the 798 dealerships to be closed by Chrysler as it restructures. Alex? Yes, Adam. If I say the words credit card company, um, how do you think people are going to feel? Like, you just hear that phrase, do you feel happy or do you feel angry or sad or some bad feeling? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I feel like the association is probably negative, possibly hateful. Um, I think most people probably don't have a really great positive view of credit card companies. Um, and that is what we're going to be actually talking about today on, on the podcast, credit card companies. Uh, what we think about them and what they know about us. Right. We're going to be talking with New York Times reporter and our friend Charles Duhigg about his excellent piece. It's in this Sunday's New York Times magazine. It's all about the credit card industry and uh, how they affect how we feel about them. But first, let's get to an indicator. The indicator today, Adam, is zero. That is the number of bank executives who've been replaced or forced out by the U.S. government after their institutions have gotten bailout money. What's interesting is if you look at the banks and compare them to other industries that have gotten bailout money, like take GM. They got $17 billion in bailout money. Rick Wagoner, chairman and CEO, kicked out by the government. Same thing at others like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, both CEOs kicked out by the government. AIG, CEO is kicked out of the government. And up until now, the, the government has had a lighter touch with bank CEOs. No one's been forced out. But Sheila Baer, the chairman of the FDIC, says that's all about to change. In an interview on Bloomberg Television today, she said that as part of the evaluations that the government has been doing of the banks, they're also going to be evaluating executive performance. And she said it's likely that some of those executives won't pass these tests and will be getting the boot in the next couple of months. It is a... Some people say long overdue. Others say, I don't know, we should be switching horses in midstream. And others say it should be the shareholder's decision or the board's decision. And others say the shareholder and the boards have not shown themselves to be making good decisions. It is a confusing area. And if I could step in with a little bit of um, interagency gossip, some people also say it's a FDIC versus Fed uh, battle. battle. Right. Yep. So we will be bringing you more on that. But Alex, let's move on to credit cards. Yes, let's. Yesterday, we had our friend New York Times business reporter Charles Duhigg in the studio, and we asked him to do something we ask all of our Planet Money guests to do. We asked him to take out his wallet Charles just wrote this really great piece for the New York Times Magazine about credit card companies, and we wanted to know what type of plastic he was carrying. (laughs) So you have a credit card in there, an interesting credit card. This is a a credit card with my son Oliver's photo emblazoned on the the front of it. Now, that is incredibly cute. Look at that. He's a good-looking kid, huh? Yeah. Okay, so this is an adorable credit card. It is a Capital One credit card, and the entire thing just looks like a snapshot of a very cute, very smiley... Oliver with the numbers on it, which, okay, it's just sweet. How nice of Capital One to allow you to have a picture of Oliver on your credit card. 
But you wrote an article in the Sunday New York Times Magazine, and I now know this is like one of the most manipulative things corporate America could have done. Capital One has essentially turned my son into a marketing device for themselves, and I fully participate. And not just a marketing device, a collections agency device. That's right. That's right. And they didn't do it. They got you to do it. I mean, that's the most amazing thing about it is that – I willingly went to their website and I spent a good probably 15 or 20 minutes finding the right photo to (laughs) upload so that I could get it put on my credit card. And what Capital One has told me, and I I interviewed some of their executives, and one of the things that they said, and they didn't know that I had done this with my my son's photo, is that one of the executives said, you know, we find a lot of people who go to this website called Card Lab end up putting photos of their children on their credit cards. And the best part about it is they put it in the front of their wallet so that every time they open their wallet, they can see their kid's photo. And so that's the card that's easiest for them to grab when it comes time to pay. And then, and then they, the Capital One credit card becomes associated with all the good feelings that you have for Absolutely. your child. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, Foucault once said that we create prisons without walls. <laughs> Turns out we don't even need the prisons anymore. You just need a website and a good credit card. All right. But now, OK, so, so, so if I had not read your really excellent Sunday Magazine story about credit card companies, I would have thought that all this is is marketing. The whole point here is just, hey, you're going to like the card. You're going to use it more. Um, but it's more than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, because you have other credit cards in your wallet and you might – I see, wow, you actually have a lot of credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> so first off, looking at the five credit cards you, you pulled out and are in front of you, obviously you're going to grab the Oliver one just because you probably have better feelings. But it's more than that. If you owe money on those cards, which one are you going to – be more likely to pay. Right. There's basically two questions that the credit card companies are grappling with right now. <clears throat> the first is, how can they understand who you are better in order to determine whether you're a good risk or a bad risk when they give you a credit card? But then the second thing is, and this is particularly true as we go into a recession, is that everyone is going to have too many bills. Not only are you going to have five credit card bills every month, you're going to have a phone bill and a cable bill and a water bill and a rent bill. And what the credit card companies want to figure out is, how do they get to be the first bill that you pay, or at least the first credit card bill that you pay? Wait, wait, Caitlin and Jacob, can you stop the tape right there? Um, I want to talk about the first question, how the credit card companies make these decisions. Because according to Duhigg's article, the way they determine that is a lot more complicated than I certainly thought. Before I read the article, I figured any credit card company has these big databases filled with information about me that they knew how old I was, what my credit score is, you know, where I live, where I used to live, where I travel. Basic data, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Just like basic demographic data. But what I didn't realize is those big databases are doing a lot of analysis of every single thing I buy, you buy, anyone buys, and trying to figure out what kind of portrait of a person that portrays. Um, He told us about a study that this company called Canadian Tire did in 2002, where they analyzed every transaction made by their credit card holders in the previous year. And we should explain, Canadian Tire isn't just a tire company. It's sort of like, uh, according to Duhigg, the Canadian Walmart. Uh, It's a huge company. It issues lots of different types of credit cards to lots of different types of borrowers. And what they found was pretty amazing, that specific purchases, individual products that you buy, tell the credit card companies a lot about you. What you buy, in fact, what we buy, what I buy, what you buy, reveals things to the credit card company that we might not even know about ourselves. If you buy premium wild bird seed, 
chances are that you're going to end up paying off your credit card. In fact, that's the... I think you said that was the single biggest predictor, that actual purchase. You know, that's the safest type of purchase you can make. And why? Because with the premium birdseed example, you're the type of person who goes out and feeds birds you don't own. You feel this sense of responsibility towards the world. You're so obsessed about responsibility that you pay off your credit card bill every month even if you don't have to. Okay, so if I'm if I if I have a credit card, what do I not want to see on my customers' bills? What are, what is the worst? What is what 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 is the purchase that tells me as a credit card executive, "Oh my god, this person's never paying me back." If if Alex, if you were if you were to buy a chrome skull accessory for your car, and if you were to use your card to buy drinks at a place called Shark's Pool Bar in Montreal, you would basically be a credit card nightmare. Yeah, tell us about Shark's Pool now, Bar. Now, this is real. You're not making this You're up. You're not, not making, making this, this up. up. This is right. what the data said. And, and it's again, sharks with an X. There are sharks with an X, right. <laughs> right. The types of people who go out there and use their credit cards for things like chrome skull accessories or at Shark's Pool Bar, data showed that those were the people who walked away from their debts most frequently. Sharks is on St. Catherine, which is kind of our main drag. Um, when you go in, it's, I guess I would say it's pretty, it's kind of like in the basement. That's Laura Roberts, who lives in Montreal and obviously has been to Sharks. Um, Caitlin Kinney and, and Laura Conaway went on a huge Twitter-fueled search around the globe for people who have actually been to Sharks. Right, because after hearing what Charles had to say about Sharks, we figured we got to find out what this place is like. Right. right. His article specifically says something like 47% of people who have been to Sharks, who have used their credit card in Sharks, will default at least four out of the next 12 months. That's crazy. So we sent out this request on Twitter. We said, anyone who's been to Sharks, please uh, let us know. We don't want to talk to you. And, and Laura Roberts was the first to respond. Now, Adam, I have to admit, I, I didn't think the answer to our question about Sharks would come from a person named Laura. <laughs> I was imagining someone named Crusher or Bruiser I don't know, Mongo. I, I, I mean, I guess I was picturing basically the meanest, dirtiest biker bar imaginable, um, like the place where you actually ride your motorcycle into the bar and play pool from atop your hog. And but, beat someone up. And, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you don't drink the beer. You crush people's heads with the beer steins. Right, like yeah. a public radio kind of bar. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Laura says it's not like that. It's kind of subterranean, kind of dark, kind of cool. Um, it's got kind of like, I guess, sort of an upscale vibe to it. I mean, it's kind of weird because it's a pool hall, so you think maybe not so upscale, but it's like very clean. It's very well-maintained. Like the pool tables are not going to be all beat up. And, you know, like they have, I guess, sort of a, not necessarily like a high-class crowd, like it's mostly university students, but it's like people are behaving themselves, I guess, as opposed to, I mean, I guess I'm more of a person who would go to maybe a rougher place like a rougher place yeah like i don't necessarily want to go to sharks i would say because it is so i don't know it, it feels like it's a chain right i'm finding this very surprising <laughs> and and i'm gonna get to why but i have a personal question okay um how 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 up to date are you on your credit card payments um hmm that's a good question i think i probably need to pay them but I do pay every month, so. <laughs> do, you, do you go, are you late ever? Um, sometimes, yeah. I try not to be, but. Would you say that in the last year, have you lit, missed four payments or more? Hmm. I would say 
Maybe only two. I mean, it kind of depends because I am a freelancer. So the money is sometimes like, is it there? It's not there. I can't pay them on time, but probably not four. Okay. But some years it might be four. Yeah. Okay. And it's not zero. No. <laughs> and it might be four, sounds yeah. like, the last year. <laughs> Yeah. You're not a you're, you didn't you didn't totally sell me on this too. I got to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might be more. Yeah. That's sort of mind blowing. It sounds like the sharks. I guess is sort of like now putting together what we know about sharks from Laura. It seems like maybe it's more like an aspirational place. So maybe it's like college kids and other young people and professionals going to a cool place and maybe spending more money than they should and that's I mean it's just it's very it's really confusing we actually called and I I spoke to a manager at Sharks named Kelly and she said that not surprisingly Duhigg's story is making the rounds they're reading it online and and they are they are frankly just befuddled they have no ability to understand how they are the riskiest bar in Canada the closest they could guess is, is that that it's sort of aspirational you know people in their mid-twenties who are maybe in their first job and spending a little more than they can afford. But they don't understand why they're on that list. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing about this. That it's data. And so, like, that's, that's what we're saying. Like, the credit card companies know this stuff that, like, as a, as a regular subjective human being, you might not pick up on. Exactly. And, and they have another problem that credit card companies do, which they solve also using their analysis of who we are by looking at what we buy. The problem is how do they get us to pay their bill first. You know, if, if you have a bunch of bills and you're not in a position to pay them all, the credit each individual credit card company is saying, hey, pay us first. Forget about those other bills. So they are studying what we buy. They also study what time of day we check our balances, how we sound when we call them. And all this information allows them to take a much more subtle and I guess, friendly approach to getting their money back. Charles Duhigg went to um, a training session where Bank of America was training its customer service representatives how to get people who owe a lot of money to pay up. The the folks who, who lead these training sessions are enormously well-intentioned. There's there's no, you know, sort of evil manipulation that seems to be behind the, behind the, the screen here. I mean, what they basically told these trainees was, Become a friend to, to the people that you call. And we listen to recordings of telephone calls where someone would say, you know, my husband just left me and I can't pay off these debts. And the answer that what the credit card representative was supposed to do was to give them a shoulder to cry on, to talk about their problems, to become their friend. So one guy in the class says, well, look, when someone tells us that their husband just left them or they, their kid just got cancer – how are we supposed to ask them for money at that point? <laughs> right. That's yeah. kind of a terrible story. And what the instructor eventually said was, you know, you don't ask them for money at first. What you do is you let them know that you're there for them. And eventually that person is going to feel so grateful that you're going to say, how much do you think you can send in this month? And that's how the credit card companies get paid. And they'll even go so far as to say – we we need to move you past this horrible experience. Let's just get rid of this debt that you got with your ex-husband and just move past, right? You- exactly. Exactly. And and we all know that this is true, right? Like it's when you have credit card bills, it's like this like weight on your shoulders. And if someone calls you up and says, "Look, I want to I want to help you get past this weight on your shoulders. I want to make you feel better about yourself in the world." How could you not appreciate someone like that? So, uh, from the credit card company's point of view, you know, credit, they've extended a lot of credit. They're, they're probably thinking, 
a lot of it at this point isn't going to get paid back. The recession is we're in the recession. It could be getting a lot worse. Are they just sort of looking at this as like, oh, my God, there's a tidal wave coming and we've got a is are these training sessions sort of a direct response to this fear of like ever rising defaults out there? Absolutely. So there's been a, a, a big change. So this stuff has been going on for years because there's always been people who are who skip out on their debts. Mm-hmm. But what's changed recently is a lot of the psychological profiles that credit card companies would develop, they used to use to sell you credit cards, to try and get you to charge more on your credit card. Now, as you pointed out, over the next five years, about $350 billion worth of credit card debts are expected to go bad. So- because we're in a horrible recession. Because we're in a recession. Because people run out of money and they lose their jobs. And and and, de- and it tracks unemployment. And so now what they're doing is they're taking all of their science and they're saying, we're not selling any more credit cards. Now we're focusing on how to make sure that we get paid. Mm-hmm. And figuring out who responds to which type of persuasion, which is all psychology, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference. And do they do that from the purchases you make? Is that how they, they do it fig- from everything. Every single interaction that I have with a credit card feeds into understanding my psychological profile. You wrote that they write down how you respond when they call. Do you sigh? Do you growl? Do you say, hey, how's it going? Absolutely. Are you chipper and upbeat? Do you seem like really worried and, and you know worked over by this stuff? Who is chipper and upbeat when the credit card company calls <laughs> asking for their money? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Says a man who doesn't have his child's photo on his credit card. <laughs> Cold, heartless. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about fairness. Now, there's a lot of upset when this concept of universal default came out, that if I am late on my Citibank Visa card, that my Chase MasterCard interest rate goes up. And a lot of people say that's ridiculous. That's unfair. My relationship with Chase MasterCard is that they have no business looking at my credit report and figuring out what my relationship with Citi is. This seems like way, way less fair. Like if I happen to be in Montreal and I get a drink at Sharks, my credit card rate's going to go up <laughs> because some other guys in Sharks defaulted and. I, you know, I'm at Walmart and the guy next to me is buying me is buying premium bird seed, and I happen to like chrome skulls. And <laughs> I mean, it it just doesn't seem fair at all. It doesn't seem like a reasonable way to allocate credit. I mean, I think that's a really it, it, you're you're obviously touching on the issue of justice that seems to be the one that drives a lot of talk of credit cards. But I guess let me pose it to you this way. Two answers. The first of which is that capitalism isn't just. It never has been. Some of us were born rich and some of us were born poor. And some things like banking get paid a lot more than going on the radio. Let's ask the question from the other perspective, which is, is it fair or just that anyone on the face of this planet can go borrow money from a big company with essentially no collateral? Right? Like, I mean, I can basically be a guy who is homeless, and I can. And two years ago, I could send in a credit card application, and I could probably get a thousand or two thousand dollars worth of credit. And I, then I could go buy an Xbox, and then I could just walk away from my debts. I mean, we live in a place where justice and fairness, when it comes to money, has very different meanings now, and they're evolving. And that's part of what this crisis is: is trying to figure out what should be just. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's the sort of the like when I think about like. There's so much anger at the credit card companies. I mean, it's hard to find anybody out there who wants to come to the defense of the credit card companies. And I'm not sure that's what we're doing right here. But there is 
the the flip side of the 30% interest rate is just what you said. Like I can get a $1,000 loan, you know, unsecured basically. And it's because they can charge somebody 30% that they can sort of justify that risk. Also, if I think about in my own life, like I spent a summer doing an unpaid internship, which I funded with a credit card, which if there hadn't been credit cards and there hadn't been 30% interest rates, I would not have been able to do. That led to basically I'm here right now because I borrowed all that money on my credit card and that and I paid it back. But, you know, it's sort of like you're borrowing your friend, you're, you're borrowing money from your future self is basically what you're doing. When you're, Absolutely. When you're... And it used to be that there was no way in America to do that. If you wanted to buy a motorcycle or go do an unpaid internship, you had to save up for a year. Then you bought the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Now you buy the motorcycle and you pay it off over the next year. And some it, people would say it's better if you have to save it up and do it. Some people would say that. But but I think there's also a lot of other people who would say we live in a better world now. If you look at guys like Jeff Bezos when he started Amazon, he lived off of his credit cards, right? There's tons of companies out there that exist because the entrepreneur was able to basically float his life for a year or her life on a credit card. It's an amazing economy that we live in. It, it's the, the, the possibilities are so much so much bigger now because of credit cards. Then the flip side, though, is that like we are now living out the consequences of too many people who shouldn't have gotten credit getting credit. You know, and Absolutely. so it's like so that that is the that is the flip side of that. And and sort of the for every person who is able to make the credit card work for them, there's somebody else who's sort of buried under crushing debt who's not going to be able to pay it off. Absolutely. Right? And it's and it's it's sort of hard to figure out like which balances out is is Jeff Bezos or me, frankly worth some of these people in your article who got who who now are who now are sort of like their credits destroyed and they're they're feeling overwhelmed and and there are horrible. certainly things that credit card companies have done in the past that are I think objectively unfair and very difficult to to gel with any sense of justice for instance people who had you know a relatively small credit card balance because they had used it and then missed a couple of payments and then their interest rate shoots up and they have all these late fees and over time and this happens very frequently the late fees and the interest rate charges become larger than the principal balance of what you actually spent in the first place and you're in this cycle that you can never get out of where you can never pay off your credit card. And are there we talked about fairness, but but the other issue is privacy. Do, do I mean am I just legally if if I use a credit card to buy premium bird seed or chrome skulls, am I explicitly giving the credit card company permission to do whatever they want with that data and analyze it as much as they want? Unless the law is written otherwise and, and there's a debate going on right now about what the law should say. But but in general yeah. It, the transactions that you do with your card, your card company is allowed to see and is allowed to make decisions based around. I mean, the, the, the question of privacy is a really interesting one. And, and I, I anticipate that a number of your readers will feel like I'm a, I'm a shill for the credit card company or I'm not harsh enough. But the, the, the interesting thing about it is that when you ask what credit cards should be allowed to know and what they shouldn't be allowed to know, I think that's a totally appropriate conversation. Just recognize that there's consequences for every single answer. So France is a great example, by the way. In France, here in America, any credit card company, anyone, can request a credit report on me or you or Alex. And they can learn how much debt I have, how many credit cards I have, if I have a mortgage. They can learn a lot about me. In France, you can't. In France, to get a credit report on someone, you have to get them to sign a form giving permission for you to learn something about their credit background. And as a result, it's much easier to get a loan in America than it is in France. It's next to impossible in France to get a loan. 
So it's fine to place limitations on privacy, and I think we should. I think these are really, really interesting questions that deserve a lot of sophisticated thought. But the part to remember is there is a consequence for every single action that we take. And if we limit the right of pre- if we limit the ability of credit card companies to learn about you, they will become more less willing to give certain types of people credit who now get it. You can read Charles Duhigg's article in this weekend's New York Times Magazine, or you can read it online at the New York Times website, or we'll link to it on our blog at npr.org slash money. Also, make sure to check out This American Life this weekend because there's a Planet Money story running this weekend from Chris Arnold, NPR's Chris Arnold, about mortgage servicers. Um, And that's all for now, right, Adam? Yeah, I'm Adam Davidson. I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thank you for listening. Thank you.